Would you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Philemon? The book of Philemon. As we talked about last week, Philemon is the uh, shortest, uh, one of the shortest books in the New Testament. It is the shortest book that the Apostle Paul wrote. And we had an opportunity last week to begin looking at this passage of Scripture. Uh, last week, we spent some time looking at the concept of forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, just as a brief overview this morning, let's talk a little bit about what, where we uh, landed last week. We, we talked about the fact that there were three characters um, in this story primarily. The first one was Philemon. And Philemon was this Christian man who had been led to the Lord Jesus Christ by the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was a gracious man. Uh, he was apparently a man that was pretty well off. He had uh, money. He also had some slaves as well. Um, he had a church that was in his home. He had opened his church to his home. He was a beloved leader in Christ. We had talked about the fact that uh, the concept of slavery um, is one of the underpinnings of this book. We had talked about the idea that slavery um, happened in a number of different ways uh, in biblical times. Uh, there were uh, types of slavery that occurred because of war, and a conquered nation would be taken over, and instead of killing the inhabitants, what you would do is bring them into your um, into slavery. Um, that was one. I guess instead of killing them, you uh, uh, let them work. There was another concept which we think um, Onesimus is, the um, uh, offender in this story, that uh, if you owed someone something, that you were going to work off your debt by working for this slave owner. That was another way. And then, of course, the type of slavery that we had here in the United States, the, the vile type of slavery where it was um, driven by race, it was a, a diminishment of um, that human being. Um, that was slavery that was also done during that time, but it was not the most part of it. Uh, clearly, from this story, it would seem that Philemon was not of that category, and it doesn't seem like he was a warrior either, so it doesn't seem as though he received this slave because of warfare. So in all likelihood, he received the slave Onesimus because of Onesimus owing something and needing to work off a debt. So the first person that we looked at last week was Philemon, this gracious man of God. The second one we looked at was um, Onesimus. Onesimus is the slave fugitive. He has run away from Philemon. Um, it is clear that when he ran away from Philemon's home, he was not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. He ran away, whether he was running specifically to find Paul or by the sovereign grace of God, he was brought there by Paul. Either way, God led him there to the footsteps of Paul. Paul was in prison. Onesimus was running away, probably trying to run away for um, his own benefit. The third person that we looked at last week was Paul, the aged prisoner. Um, he is the one that had led uh, Philemon to the Lord, and now he has the opportunity to lead Onesimus to the Lord. He has also the opportunity to act as a mediator between these two estranged beings. So that was the cast of characters. Last week, we also looked at the character of Philemon. And if you remember in verses 4 through 7, we saw that he had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and a love for the saints, and he had a fellowship of the believers, and he was a blessing to other people. That Paul was banking on that character of Philemon to be the characteristics that he would call upon 
to ask him to forgive. Then if you remember, we moved to the fact in verse 8 and following, we looked at the call that was happening to Philemon. It was a particular call. It was not a command. Paul asked Philemon to do three things to Onesimus. The first one was to reinstate him, to bring him back into fellowship or into relationship. The second thing he asked him to do in verse 17 was to receive him. But he wasn't asking him just to simply receive him. He asked him to receive him as you would receive me. That was the second thing. And then the third thing was that restitution would be provided for him. If you remember, the reinstatement, the reception, and then restitution got us to look to the gospel and what Christ has done for us. That what Christ did for us is he substituted himself for us. He took our place. He died in our stead. And that what was placed onto his account was our sin. And what was placed onto the account of those who trust in him was the righteousness of Christ. And we talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So God has substituted himself, Christ. He imputed his grace upon us, his righteousness upon us. And then he has declared us not guilty. We are justified in his sight, declared righteous in his sight, made acceptable because of the work of Christ alone. That if you are in Christ, you are infinitely loved and totally accepted and forever forgiven. And what I asked you to consider last week was this. That the only way that we could ever forgive someone horizontally is to recognize how much we have been forgiven vertically. How much we have been forgiven by God, what he has done for us. That when God forgives you, he forgives you completely and utterly. That when God forgives you, you are changed. When God forgives you, he removes your judgment from you. There is no condemnation any longer. When God forgives you, he no longer deals with you according to your sin but according to his grace. He covers your sin. He blots them out. He brings you into a great relationship, a forever relationship. You are filled by his abundant mercy and abundant grace. But I ask you to consider why is it that we struggle with that? We've been redeemed. We've been reconciled. We've been restored. So why is it that our relationships lack that? Paul told us last week of the basis of true forgiveness, that you need to remember, Philemon, you've been forgiven much by God. I had said a repeated theme last week, if you remember, over and over again, I said that the gospel changes everything. That if you can get the concept of the gospel right in your life, that should change the radical direction of your vertical relationship with God, and clearly it should change your horizontal relationships with others. Look here with me in Philemon as Paul talks to us about not only the basis of forgiveness, but now we're going to look at how we actually apply forgiveness in our lives. Verse 8, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son or child Onesimus whose father I became in my imprisonment. You remember we had talked about the fact that that probably means that Onesimus was brought to faith by the Lord Jesus Christ through the ministry of Paul. He has now become a child, a spiritual child of Paul. Verse 11, 
formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful to you and to me. Remember last week we talked about the fact that Onesimus, the name, means useful, and that because he ran away from his obligations, he had become useless to the apostle, uh, to Philemon. And what Philemon, what Paul is saying is this, that Philemon has now become useful, not only to you, but also to me, because he's now been converted by the work of the Holy Spirit and converted to Christ. Verse 12, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. You hear the passion of Paul? I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Remember, Paul is in prison in all likelihood in Rome. Uh, First imprisonment, he had two Roman imprisonments, not the second one where it's going to end in his death. This is the first one in all likelihood. And he's in prison for the sake of the gospel. He's in prison for the name of Christ. And he says in verse 14, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. The first thing I would like to think about this morning is this, that forgiveness starts internally in your heart. That what the Apostle Paul was grabbing at is the fact that there is a character that is within you, Philemon. I know your character. I know that you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I know that you have a love for all the saints. I know that you are one who is a blessing. You want to be a blessing to others. There is something that is happening within you. When you look at the concept of forgiveness, oftentimes what we find is that people have misconceptions about what forgiveness is. They look at forgiveness as complete and total reconciliation. It's not. Forgiveness has several steps that need to happen. First, it happens internally within your own heart and life, and then it becomes external. Can you hold your finger here with me and turn with me to Mark eleven twenty-five? The Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus Christ is is giving counsel here to his apostles. He is um, just talked about um, this withered fig tree, and he's given a lesson from the withered fig tree. And he ends this section in verse 25 by talking about forgiveness. He says, and when you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The first element of forgiveness must be internal and personal. What Paul is saying is this, is that I don't want you to be driven to forgive this person by compulsion, by my law, or by my standard. I want this to be something that is happening deep within your heart. I don't know who it is that has offended you or hurt you, but... As you stand praying in your own home, as you're in your prayer closet, thinking and praying to God, have you released this person? Have you released the concept of anger and hatred? Have you released the concept of trying to seek revenge or restitution from this person? Have you said that I'm no longer going to have hatred in my heart? What Paul is arguing here is this, that forgiveness, first of all, must be uh, not by compulsion, but something that is happening deep within your heart. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. 
Romans 12 tells us that there are, there are certain relationships where I am called to forgive and do things that are gracious to others even when they have not changed, which is vitally important in the first step of forgiveness, internal forgiveness. We were in this passage several weeks ago in Romans 12, verse 9 and following. It says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. But look at it here, verse 14. This is huge. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. That Paul is arguing because of the gospel, the gospel changes everything. That there should be this internal mechanism in my heart, this internal desire of my heart to show the good news of grace out to the person that is even persecuting me. You ever wonder how it is that God can tell us, Christ can tell us to love our enemies and pray for us who persecute us? is because within your own heart, you were just breathing the gospel out. You were saturated with the gospel because you have been forgiven much and you were given the opportunity to forgive those who have offended you. He goes on in verse 15, he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. And here it is, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. See, the first part of forgiveness starts with you. That in your own heart, are you aiming for peace in your relationships with others? Are you letting go of anger? Are you letting go of hatred? Are you letting go of bitterness? Are you letting go of revenge? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through your lives? Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is mine to repay. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, what do you do? If your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, what do you do? I can't hear you. Give him something to drink. For by doing so, you keep burning coal on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What Paul is asking Philemon to do is that the character that you have of love, the character that you have of grace, the character that you have of blessing to be a blessing, internally, Philemon, are you willing to forgive internally? But there's a second part of forgiveness that's real important. Because Mark 11 tells me that if I'm in my prayer closet and I need to forgive, that I'm called to forgive those who have sinned against me. But what about the horizontal relationship? Turn with me to Luke chapter 17 because that gives us the the second part of forgiveness. Luke 17. Jesus is talking about temptation here. And he's talking in context that temptation is sin. And then he says in verse 3, he says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins against him, what are you called to do? Rebuke him. And if he repents, what are you called to do? Forgive. 
And if he sins against you seven times in a day, what are you called to do? I repent, and he turns to you and repents. I'm called to forgive. See, I think the way that forgiveness works is that forgiveness is first and foremost a desire. Then when I look at the disposition of my own heart, I should just have this desire in my heart because of what God has done for me, this magnanimous grace that he's given me, this amazing grace that he's forgiven me every sin that I've ever committed, every sin past, every sin present, every sin future has been forgiven in God. That forgiveness is first and foremost a desire of your heart to display the grace and the gospel of Christ. But then... Forgiveness is secondarily a decision that you must make. I must make a decision to release this anger to God, release this desire for revenge, release this desire for hatred. I release that to God. It's a decision. It's a choice. But then there's a third element that forgiveness is also developmental. That I may need to come to you and ask you why you did what you did. Or in Onesimus' case, he needed to go back to Philemon and ask for forgiveness for what he'd done. That there couldn't be full and complete reconciliation until Onesimus had done and turned back to God. So forgiveness is first and foremost internal. It's about the fact that you're in your prayer closet and in there you remind yourself of the fact of the grace of God and you remind yourself of the fact that this person can literally not sin against me as much as I sin against you, God. You remember the parable of the, the uh, man that owed billions of dollars to the king and then he goes out and beats somebody up for like six months wages. And if he could remember how much he had been forgiven by the king, that should just pour out in his willingness to forgive this other person. Forgiveness is first internal but secondarily forgiveness is external you go and ask you go and confront this person you confront this person in love you confront this person about what they've done wrong and as uh, jesus said in luke 17 you tell them what they've done wrong and if they repent what are you called to do forgive back to philemon so paul laying out that groundwork that he already knew Philemon knew. He knew Philemon knew the gospel. He knew that Philemon knew that I am not allowed to hold on to bitterness or rage or anger or resentment in my heart. That there is a form of anger that is without sin, but for the most part, most human anger is full of sin because I elevate myself rather than Christ. So that within Philemon, you must be loving and gracious and remind yourself of the gospel. But externally, Philemon, are you prepared to forgive this person? He says in verse 14, I preferred to do nothing without your consent, that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. Verse 15 amazes me. It says, for, for perhaps this is why he was parted from you, separated from you, your verse may say, for a little while, that you may have him back forever. What that points out to me is this. Sovereignty is never mentioned in this book, but sovereignty is throughout the whole book. That God had sovereignly chosen to bring Paul into conversion. He had sovereignly worked to bring Paul as the mouthpiece in Philemon's life. He had sovereignly worked to bring Onesimus to the footstep of Paul, 
He had sovereignly used Paul to bring Onesimus to faith. He had sovereignly worked to bring Onesimus back to Philemon. Sovereignty is at work throughout this. And what Paul is asking him to see is this, that even on a horizontal level, even as this person has sinned against you, that God is sovereignly allowing for this to happen because he is doing something in your life and in this person's life. Onesimus sinned. He left you, but he would never have come to faith unless he had come here. And that God brought him to Rome so that he could be saved, so he brought him back here with you. Perhaps he's been parted from you by the sovereign hand of God to bring you back for good. Verse 16, no longer is a bondservant or a slave, but much more than a bondservant, a beloved brother. Isn't that the concept of forgiveness and reconciliation? See, Paul doesn't, doesn't say that slavery is wrong, but what he does is he undercuts the very element of slavery by talking about the fact that every person has value. And that this person is now in the household of faith. And he is now not only a slave, but he's more than a slave. He's a brother in Christ. He's forgiven by God. Onesimus has been forgiven by God because of Christ. Paul is asking Philemon, will you forgive him? Verse 16, no longer a bondservant, but much more a bondservant. A beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to me both in my flesh and in um, Lord. And here's the call. So if you consider me a partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to me. I, Paul, write this in my own hands. I will repay to say nothing of the fact that you owe me yourself. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Last week, I wanted you to consider the fact that those who struggle with unforgiveness find themselves embittered at times. I don't know if you're the type of person that gossips or slanders people. I don't know if you're the type of person that has judging of motives. You look at a person and you just don't believe what they are saying. I don't know if you're a person that is just uh, constantly flowing with excessive sorrow in your life. I don't know if you look at this relationship and find that you tend to be brooding and ruminating over it. I don't know if you struggle with a loss of joy. I don't know if you struggle with critical or judgmental spirit. I want you to consider that there are two paths that you can take in life. I call the first one the grace path, the second one the grudge path. The grace path starts with the fact that you've been hurt. Every single person in this room has been hurt by somebody. Somebody has hurt you probably very deeply. The grudge path is what the world would ask you to do. The grudge path would take you from that hurt to anger. Anger in and of itself is not sinful. In all likelihood, it probably is in most people's lives. But that hurt has now become anger. But that anger, if not dealt with in a God-honoring way, opened you up to what? Bitterness. You remember in Hebrews 12, it says a bitter root defiles many that maybe there's this person in your life that has hurt you so immensely and now you've held on to anger and now that anger has now gone into bitterness in your life and now there's resentment. You can't stand the person. And then from that path, what happens is rebellion. 
you'll continue to do whatever you want and you believe that it is right to do whatever you want because this person has done the first sin. You've taken the grudge path. But that's not the only path there in life. There's the grace path. The grace path starts with the exact same hurt. You have been hurt immensely by someone. They have mistreated you, they've sinned against God, and they've hurt you incredibly. You're hurt. But you choose to go down the grace path. The grace path talks about the fact that you were tender-hearted in your heart. You were kind in the way you respond. You were thinking of the gospel message in and through your life. You're seeking to be loving. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love, and I'm loving in a deep and honoring way. The grace path is a humble path of dealing with my hurt, going to kindness, going to tenderness, going to love, and then ultimately forgiving one another. So I guess I ask you this morning, which path do you normally take? Do you take the grudge path or the grace path? What God does for us when he forgives us is he forgives us completely. He takes all your sin away. When he forgives you, you are changed. When God forgives you, he takes your sin and he blots them out. When he forgives you, he no longer holds any charge against you. When God forgives you, he removes your sin even from his very presence. When God forgives you, it costs him the very life of his son. When God forgives you, he doesn't withhold any forgiveness if sin is confessed in a God-honoring way. So if that's the way God forgives us, how are we called to forgive one another? Well, I ask you, are you willing to forgive anyone if they confess sin against you? There is no sin that God can't forgive if it's confessed in a God-honoring way. Are you willing to offer grace and forgiveness, not based on the fact that this person is going to merit your forgiveness or earn your forgiveness, but... You're giving them grace to forgive? Are you expecting in your forgiveness a new relationship? See, what Paul was saying is this, that Philemon was a bondservant who ran away from you, but I want you to see him as not a bondservant, a beloved brother. There should be a change in that relationship. When you forgive someone, do you expect a change in that relationship? When you forgive, do you recognize it's going to be costly to you? Just like it was costly to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to be costly to you. Do you remember that when you forgive, I'm not going to be a historian. I'm not going to bring up what this person has done against me time after time. Forgiveness offers these promises to people that you are not going to remind them of what they've done. You're not going to remind yourself of what they've done. You're not going to talk to other people about what they've done because that's the way God has forgiven you. That is how we're called to forgive one another. We don't keep a record of wrong. We don't gossip. We don't dwell. We try to restore a renewed relationship with one another. Forgiveness is without limitation. That there's nothing I can't forgive. That if you sin against me seven times in a day, guess what? And you ask me for forgiveness, what am I obligated to do? To forgive. So this morning I ask you, is there someone that you just can't forgive? Actually, I'm going to take that word away. Is there someone that you won't forgive? 
that if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the ability to forgive anyone, anything. Is there a relationship that you believe can't possibly be reconciled? I've shut them out. Forget them. I'm done with them. I wonder if Philemon thought that when Onesimus ran away. Could Philemon have ever imagined that Onesimus would find the Apostle Paul, his own mentor, be driven to the Lord Jesus Christ by his own mentor, and that he would come back to make it right? He probably never could have imagined that unless he was focused on the gospel. So this morning, I want you to consider the relationships that you have. Are you, do you have a heart to forgive? Do you desire reconciliation and forgiveness in that relationship? Do you recognize that I've been redeemed and reconciled and restored and I want to forgive this person? I wonder if you sit here this morning and if you are humble enough to seek forgiveness from those that you've offended. I know from counseling people time after time, they struggle with even asking for forgiveness. I know marriages where they've never asked for forgiveness and they've been married for decades. Proverbs 28.13 says that whoever conceals this transgression will not, um, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find mercy. 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus had said that if you're here in church and you remember that someone has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and then go, be reconciled. Are you humble enough, and if you remind yourself of the fact that I know that I've wronged this person, are you humble enough to go and seek forgiveness? Step number one. Step number two is this, that not only am I humble enough to seek forgiveness, but are you willing enough to grant forgiveness? Are you Onesimus who needs to seek forgiveness, or are you Philemon who needs to grant forgiveness? Are you willing to grant forgiveness from anyone for anything that they've done if they've done it in a sincere and God-honoring way? How do you do that? I need to remind myself of God's forgiveness of me. That in Matthew 6, it says that forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, never, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. I need to be reminding myself, if I'm going to grant forgiveness, I need to be reminding myself of the vertical forgiveness that I've received from God. The next step is that I have to have a desire to forgive others from the heart. I don't know about you, but... Do you desire reconciliation? Does it break your heart when the relationship is broken? When husband and wives don't get along, when parents and children don't get along, when church members don't get along, does it break your heart? There should be a desire deep in your heart that even as you're praying in your prayer room, that I'm just praying, God, help me to forgive this person. And that, God, I want to model the fact that you're kind and tenderhearted and you're forgiving. And I'm called to forgive others. I need to remind myself of the gospel. I need to look at what God has done for me. And then I need to figure out if I've got to confront this person or offer grace. Forgiveness is, is not a supernatural response. I'm sorry, it is a supernatural response. It is not a natural one. I misread my notes. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not excusing. 
forgiveness is not being a doormat. Forgiveness is not letting the guilty person off the hook because God is still the sovereign judge. What forgiveness is, is it's canceling a debt. You pardon. It means that we understand that God has forgiven you much and need to be willing to forgive others. When he forgives, it's just in his nature to forgive. Is it your nature to forgive others? Is that the way you forgive? One person put it this way, that forgiveness is how we show the grace of Christ to this world. So how does the story of Philemon end? I don't know. It never tells us whether Philemon offered forgiveness to Onesimus. But I would have to say this, that the letter was written to Philemon, and then it was given out to the churches, and 2,000 years later, it's in our canon of Scripture. I would say that in all likelihood, it means that Philemon forgave Onesimus. He forgave him. He brought him back into a reconciled relationship. About 50 years later, I think it was, in extra-biblical writings, there is a man who's a leader in the church of Colossae, and his name is Onesimus. It is. Wouldn't it be amazing if this former slave who had run away, who ran to a prisoner, who the prisoner helped to set him free, has now become filled by the Holy Spirit and now is a pastor of that church? Because forgiveness and the gospel changes everything. Father, I pray that as we, um, as we look at our own lives and we, we look at um, our relationships, Father, there's such a great misconception when it comes to forgiveness today. There's some of us here that believe that forgiveness must be earned by somebody else and that they have to be perfectly obedient in order for me to offer them forgiveness. Oh, Lord, if that was the standard that you offered us forgiveness, none of us would be forgiven. I thank you for the fact that um, you have been the first one. You're the ultimate offended party. You're the ultimate Philemon. We are runaway Onesimai. We have, we have offended you time after time after time. But what you've done for us is that you've sent a mediator, a mediator, Jesus Christ, who took the penalty for all of our sin upon his back. He's hung on a blood-stained cross. He bled and died for us. Without the shedding of blood, there is no real remission of sin. Father, I thank you for the fact that your son bled and died for us. Lord, I thank you also for the fact that you've forgiven us much. Help us to forgive much. The gospel changes everything, Lord. Father, they will know we are Christians by our love. I pray that they would know we are Christians by our magnanimous grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. Father, if there are some here this morning who have never trusted your son, I pray that they would know that, um, that you are God who has been offended. I pray that they would know that in your offense that you're angry, that you have wrath. I pray that they would know that you would either pour that wrath upon them or 
you had offered the beautiful aspect of grace that that wrath could have been poured out on Christ, that he becomes the sin-averting, the wrath-averting work, that if I trust in Christ alone, that all of the anger for my sin for all of eternity has been poured out on Christ so that I can spend all of eternity with you. Father, that was good news that Onesimus heard. I pray that that would be good news that we would hear as well. For those of us that are here that are Philemon's that have been hurt so tremendously by someone, Father, keep us far from bitterness. Keep us far from revenge. Keep us far from resentment. Work in our hearts to bring about a forgiving grace and then help us to pursue that person in love. Father, for those of us that are Paul's here in this room that are looking to bring two people together, Father, remind us that you've brought us to Christ. Remind us that you've given us gifts to bring about reconciliation. I pray that this church can resemble the reconciliation of Christ for the glory and honor of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.